It actually, in fact, is not a, a lovely day. Uh, I think my voice sounds a little tired today. Q105. Uh, no. See? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't slept well during the week. Now, I make up for it on the weekend, uh, but today is down more than usual because um, I thought I noticed something yesterday afternoon, and I was right. Something is up with Diddy. And every time I have said this, since you have been listening to, to the show, to the podcast, and I greatly appreciate you uh, doing that, um, every time I've said that about Diddy or Andre, they're okay. Um, and I'm not, like, losing my mind. I'm not shaking like Diddy is. I can't figure out what's wrong with him. I'm filling him up all over. He seems a little, he's a little timid. Not as energetic as he normally is. He was digging the ditch again out in front of the house. Um, he's eating fine. Everything is coming out of him as it should. But I figured something was wrong. Maybe he strained something. But I do know at 13 and 10, I'm going to say something's wrong with Diddy or Andre. And it will be maybe the beginning of the end. Um, You know what? I, I will. That will cause me a great deal of grief. Um, I think depending how and when those two are no longer with me and because they are with me at all times, essentially, I may grieve their departures more than when my uh, when my dad goes. It's his birthday the other day. And, and at this point, I, I have kind of resigned myself to, we just can't talk every day anymore. I, I called him every day. We've spoken every day for just about all my adult life. He is too GD hard to get on the phone. Um, I, I've told you, I call him, no answer. And sometime between in 30 to 90 seconds, he calls me back. It's freaking annoying. We all have people that do this. So I, I was upset because I'm like, Dad, I call you around the same time every day. Can you have your phone around you? Um, so now I just call him repeatedly to see if he picks up. Uh, like seven straight times is my record. He didn't pick up. Uh, grief. I bring up grief because uh, we're going find to out, find out about a new place. Um, my friends who do grief for kids and teens. Uh, good grief of Northwest Ohio. My friend Dorothy there, who's been with me here numerous times, has introduced me to uh, Monarch. Monarch. So we're going to have Tim and Amy by shortly to talk about what they do, their, uh, who they help, spans beyond kids and teens. Had a great conversation with them a month ago, six weeks ago, but it will be good to have it here with you on the podcast. A couple of other things. What do I want to get to first here? Uh, we'll do a couple of local things. Phase two of Glass City Metro Park is about to go off June 9th through the 11th. June 9th through the 11th, phase two. Uh, that Friday, the garden, the fast casual Poco, Poco Piatti place will open up. Uh, there was some live music that night. Saturday is going to be really kid-friendly. Sunday will be an outdoor expo to have some fun at. Um, remember, Glass City Marathon over the week, or Sunday, a lot of street closures, uh, early morning, uh, early morning, late morning, uh, early afternoon on Sunday. The Tattoo Festival is tomorrow at the Glass City Glass City Convention Center. Sorry, my 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 brain. I think I sound okay, but I'm a little foggy today. Um, Glass City Convention Center tomorrow. The Tattoo Festival runs through the weekend, runs through Sunday. Sunday, uh, these two, two things kind of tie nicely together. Tattoos and wrestling. WWE is back in town on Sunday. Do I have anything from yesterday? Walleye playoff game tomorrow night and Saturday night. Uh, a couple of familiar names 
uh, will not be on the playoff roster. Mitchell Hurd and it's Simone Denny, right? Uh, longtime Walleye fan favorite. He will not be on the playoff roster for now anyway. And their longtime coach, Dan Watson, I think he's been here since 2016, 2017. Um, other other teams, other levels have had interest in him or at least thought of him. Um, I guess he has considered whether he should stay or move on. Looks like uh, that's as real as it's ever been because there's a, an opening at the next level up from the walleye within the Red Wings organization, Grand Rapids. So whenever this playoff run ends, and hopefully it ends with a parade, up Summit, up Washington, whatever, um, it could be Coach Watson's last time here. And I would guess if they do win the Cup, he'll move on. He'll have closed a very successful chapter here um, in his life in in Toledo, in Toledo walleye hockey. Uh, one more quick thing, because we didn't do this, we, we had no pod yesterday. Uh, there's a lot of things going on with the Italian Bowl coming here this summer. Another thing that was just added, uh, I saw yesterday, is a, an Italian passport through Toledo. Kind of like the passport for Restaurant Week Toledo, but it's going to go through all of our Italian restaurants, the familiars that you know, Mancy's and I'm sure Zia's and and Rosie's is one of my favorites. So that's going to happen in June. All right, um, uh, pop pop culture things. Um, I'm not going to spoil this. Kind of, I will. Mandalorian. Not going to give any real specifics away. Mandalorian. I thought it ended fine. I I like when the smarter than you fan theories fall flat as they did with this. Um, They could use some humility. We could all use a little bit more humility. Uh, But many of the theories that were floated, none, none came to fruition. And uh, there there were no um, jaw dropping bombshells. No. Oh, wow. Reveals like the end of last season with, with Luke Skywalker. Um, it was, there was a lot of blasters, there was a lot of shooting, there was a lot of lit up sabers, some fun battles, it was, it was an episode of battles, and it was really enjoyable. Um, sometimes a thing can just end satisfactorily, satisfactorily, without leading us to something else, we're so used to that now because everything is so serialized, in fact, this show could end and take us to the, the next great battle against the, the blue Grand Admiral Thrawn, which, by the way... John Favreau was the person who created The Mandalorian. He wrote last night's uh, finale episode. And uh, with the building of this Mando-verse and what's to come, and not to super nerd out, but it reminds me of um, when John Favreau created, did the Iron Man movie. And look what that built into that wrapped up with Endgame. Uh, this will be on a smaller scale. I don't think the foresight was here at the beginning when the Mandalorian started, but they're certainly building towards that. And that blue person I just mentioned is that Thanos threat that we can look forward to. I'm very much looking forward to this storyline. Um, another big show. I'm caught up essentially. I've got I've arrived at season four with succession. Um there are two and a half phenomenal characters. Uh, not to dismiss the acting talents of Jeremy Strong and I guess how his methodical acting. I guess he he we- he wears Kendall Roy clothing. He picks them out and wears them all the time when the show is shooting. So I guess he is almost always in character. But the two and a half great characters are um, one is Tom, um, <laughs> and and kind of how he's kind of like a like a fool and fish out of water trying to fit in with these. 0.01 percenters and then 
the half is is Greg because he's he's Tom's like bumbling friend, and then um, Kieran Culkin as uh, Roman Roy, and the writing for him and how he uses metaphors and the f word and similes. It's some of the best writing I've I've ever encountered. Um. Last night I'm wrapping up season three and some things that have irked me, some things I felt as I've watched season three, I'm like, everything that comes out of all these people's mouths is a lie and they keep believing them. And last night or in the last episode of season three, very emotional, very, very well done and um, a lot of mistrust uh, finally comes to the forefront and people are let down and, but leading up to this, which we can all see as viewers, no matter how much they they dislike what each other do as far as business or even personally, how much they curse each other out, these family members, they still say, I love you. Now, granted, this is probably just the narrative complexity of this show. And it's, it's the relationships. It's the dialogue. It's the conflict. It's the chemistry. It's the chaos. That's, that's what we like. But me being that that always logical brained um, literal person. It's like seeing these people say, I love you. And I get it. Um, even as someone who is very distant from love, I do know what unconditional love is. And I guess that's part of this. They, they as characters were taught, you know, we're family. We, we love each other. But me as a viewer going, I would have stopped saying I love you and cut myself off from this person in some way. Like, I don't know, somewhere through middle of season two. Like, how many times do you have to be misled, lied to, before you stop saying, no matter how rough of a situation they're in, saying, I love you. Um, A friend of mine had a really good quote about unconditional love, which is uh, something that is kind of foreign to me. Where is her quote? Uh, I was told unconditional love only makes sense. You have a healthy family. <laughs> the the Roy family is not that. Um, usually sun's out, guns out. You know what that, that corny saying is. Unfortunately, uh, the warm weather hit last week and we had a, a very violent um, weekend and beginning of this week with uh, the police. Uh, following a couple of kids uh, with the Dollar General robbery and, and the kid uh, put his gun to his head and then moved it towards, uh, pointed at the officers and I believe the eight, eight officers um, killed that kid. So we had a, a very bloody, violent, um, shootery weekend and beginning of the week. When the weather gets warm, uh, we seem to have, we have a lot more criminal activity. Uh, we have a lot more fires seemingly. And I, and I get it. People aren't cooped up in their houses anymore where, you know, if I were a criminal and granted, I hate the cold weather. Don't know if I would, would want to be committing crimes in, um, in wind chill temperatures. Uh, we're cooped up and, uh, maybe we've got to burn something off. So when people are outside and there's lots of tensions and whatnot, yeah, it's pretty predictable. Um, with that, Quickly, yesterday, the 419 Day celebration at the Franklin Park Mall. Uh, what a, an extravagant, remarkable day. Uh, Julie, who put the whole thing together, she works with my friend Casey, who's the general manager, and Monica there. Uh, Julie's attention to detail and over-explaining 
and vision and creation was phenomenal. Um, way more people than I expected. Um, the people that were there, I'm like, you know, this could get ugly. There's balloons, there's prizes. All it takes is, and there was extra security there, some TPD were there. All it takes is one person going, hey, that was my balloon. Or did you, did you just push my kid? And boom, it goes nuts. People were so well-behaved, so courteous, so respectful. In fact, we needed to collect all the balloons that weren't grabbed by a person, one per person. Um, and the people helped out. They put them all up on the stage. It was a really, really nice day. And I'm looking forward to the next one. And I'll think that we need to be a little more kid-friendly to get more kids out there because the kids had a blast. The, the kids got the party going and got DJ Dub playing uh, the, the Baby Shark song. We did some freeze dance. It was a really, really good day. Uh, with 419 Day, don't know if I said this the other day, when people, when we ask, what's your favorite part of Toledo? What's your favorite part of 419? I don't let people go, well, Metro Parks, Toledo Museum of Art, Imagination Station, the zoo. Like, those are those are the gems. We, we get it. That's like R-S-T-L-N-E with real fortune if they still do that. I don't know if I have a favorite part. I really don't. I mean, it's. I think it's, I think we have an armada of really good Mexican restaurants. I don't eat at them often. Um, but I would have to say, I do like the fact that you, you really can't get anywhere in 20 minutes. Um, a lot of places say that. And even when we have construction or whatever, you really can't get anywhere in 20 minutes. Um, I like that this is a city, um, but it's pretty tight knit. And maybe it's a little too small at times, but in, I like that because it allows me to expand my network and my web and connect people faster. Harder to do that in a much, much bigger city. Uh, But my favorite part is that I was accepted here. And I know a lot of that is my own doing by being a good human being and I guess being uh, pretty good at my job. But all those messages I got when the old show went away, um, they planted roots here and I watered them by going, I need to be more involved in the community. Got to finish out this mental health stuff. I've got work to do. So, um, and granted, buildings can be knocked down. Buildings can go away. They will die out. They, whatever. But um, a place is, it's people. A place is, what was was it? uh, It was Thor Ragnarok when uh, Asgard was destroyed. There was something at the end of the movie where all the, the Asgardians were on the ship. It's like... Asgard isn't those buildings. Asgard is is the people. So I uh, I greatly appreciate. My favorite thing about living here is that uh, people here have accepted. Uh, pretty esoteric, eccentric, uh, iconoclastic person who marches to their own very logical, literal, unemotional beat. Rubs some people the wrong way. I get it. Like somebody on Reddit the other day who uh, I got the email. But he took down the comment, and I even messaged him. I was like, hey, let's get coffee, and you can see if I'm a big jerk or not. Uh, it's the people, and I appreciate being accepted. This is the first place outside of home where I'm from that has been my home. So thank you. One last thing before we get to our friends from Monarch Grief, Amy and uh, Amy and Tim. Tim. Through the recovery of DeMar Hamilton, that the terrifying cardiac incident, where he got hit in the exact spot on this massive muscular body that caused him to nearly die on the field. It was great to see how quickly he could get back out in the public, which is like two weeks. He is now now ready to play football again. It's just a terrible, unfortunate incident. Uh, he was fortunate 
to still be alive. Um, we learned so much about um, knowing what CPR and how to save a life, something like that. Not just not just first responders or medics, things like that. But those people that ran out there saved his life that day. Some people have called, and this is me playing with words again, and I do my very best to be extremely careful and intentional with my words. And words can mean different things to all of us. But I have seen some people use the word courageous when it comes to DeMar Hamilton. And I have a saying, or I have a thought that there is no courage without fear. Um, I'm sure he was terrified and afraid when he was laying there, thinking he was maybe going to die, thinking in that hospital bed, I'm never going to, can't do what I always loved doing. Uh, maybe my career is over, all that stuff. I, there's, there's fear there. But I wouldn't say he's courageous. Where, where within him is courage? Um, I would say maybe the first responders show courage, but they're trained to do that kind of thing. Um, I don't know how courageous he was. Uh, fortunate, lucky that his life was saved. Great medics, great first responders, great doctors, and he'll be able to play football. Like maybe nothing ever happened. I, and I'm excited for that. Courageous is not the word I would use first with him. I would use it with, um, Jeremy Renner. Uh, who is now back up moving and looking great for someone who had uh, dozens of broken bones and uh, how many thousands of pounds of metal fell on him when he was trying to save his nephew in the snow. That, 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 that's courage right there. That is, when you see these memes, the strongest Avenger. Uh, we need courage. Often when we encounter grief. Um, let's talk about grief for a little while now with friends from Monarch. I would like to welcome Tim and Amy. Amy, what's your last name? Roe. Ro, that nice and easy. Tim, pronounce your last name for me. Polakowski. Love it, love it, love it. Um, you guys are here because uh, I guess a mutual friend, one of my good friends, Dorothy Mockenstern from one of my favorite places, Good Grief, Northwest Ohio, said, you've got to talk to Tim and Amy from Monarch. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I'm like, oh, okay. If Dorothy says jump, <laughs> deal. If Dorothy says Go get a spider. Uh, questionable, but I usually like Dorothy's advice. Uh, Monarch grief. Who wants to start? Tim, Amy, go ahead. I want to know all about it. I can start. Uh, Monarch Grief Center is a brand new uh, nonprofit grief center, hence the name, located currently in Perrysburg, Ohio. But we serve all of Northwest Ohio. We have, and actually even Southeast Michigan, because we're licensed, we're licensed social workers, both of us, in both Ohio and Michigan. And we're currently serving, uh, we have clients from Monroe County, Lucas County, Wood County, and Defiance County right now. Um, and so the idea kind of came about about oh, a year ago, actually a year ago next week, it's the 28th of April, I went back and looked at my notes. Uh, I had a conversation with Tim when we were both working at a local hospice, and uh, we were just talking about the great needs for um grieving folks and that there really weren't a lot of resources outside of um, some of the bereavement programs that the hospices have um, and or individual counseling from just you know a typical mental health um, counselor and so the idea came up of doing possibly a a grief center and we talked about it and rolled it around our heads for a few months and then decided 
we're going to make the leap. So we left said hospice and we put our efforts into getting things going. And so we've been open now for about three months. We started seeing patients first part of, um, or clients, I should say, first part of um, February. And it's going very well. We have mostly individual uh, clients. We do have one group going uh, because one of our big focuses uh, is to provide specialized grief services, grief um, support groups. And so this group, and I'll have Tim tell you about that, but it's um, designated for uh, middle-aged folks who have lost a spouse or significant other. So that group has started and um, we also do um, a number of community education and community support activities. We uh, just was at a um, the Wernert Center downtown and, and uh, did a presentation last evening on kind of grief 101, we call good it. Good people there. Yeah, very good people. Um, love that group. And so it was great. We've done a few of those. And we also um, have gone out to some... Um, we went out to Wernert Center. In fact, they had um, a significant loss of one of their beloved employees, and it was very sudden and, and unexpected. So we went out and did a, a kind of a memorial service mm-hmm. uh, with them. That was very meaningful. I got a lot of good feedback from that, and it was meaningful for the two of us. <laughs> they had me bawling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a grief expert here. Right, and yeah. Not I'm an expert, but yeah, it's... So that's, in general, what we do. Extremely comprehensive and and exhaustive. uh, Different uh, than uh, Dorothy and her program, um, Good Grief, where they just focus on kids and teens, and it's peer support. You guys, Tim, there are letters after your names, correct? Yes. Let's talk about that. As Amy said, we're both licensed social workers, uh, so we both have our master's in social work, uh, and uh, so we are allowed to provide mental health counseling. Um, but Amy and I specifically wanted to focus on grief counseling. Uh, grief is something not everybody's going to have a, a mental health issue, although they have there have been more or people have recognized and taken more care to their mental health over yes. the last couple of years with COVID and yes. beyond. But grief is always going to be a thing. You just hope it does not hit, uh, like you mentioned with the, the Warner Center, the sudden death. We'll all have grief at some point yeah. because we'll all have parents or older people, grandparents who will lose what do people get wrong about grief most often, Tim? Yeah, so that's that's what's so unique about grief is grief is kind of like in its own little place. It kind of belongs in the mental health realm, but also not really. Because like you said, everyone is, um, is going to experience grief. So um, in... Most people can get enough support through their family, through their communities, through their churches, um, and I, grief is is tough. We all go through grief, um, but some circumstances, some situations, people just need help processing it a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, we've been thinking and talking a lot about it. You know, where do we fit in in the community? Do we fit in the mental health realm? Do we fit in a community service? Are we a counseling agency? Are we so, you're you know, there to help and I mean, exactly it's it, it's it's i don't mean to, to sound so glib but i mean it, it's good business because there will always be people dying like right. funeral homes we all need health care mm-hmm. like good right. businesses there's rarely any layoffs and those things i mean there is but um, right. we're all going to lose someone um one of the things that dorothy and i uh, often kick around she'll push back on on some things she hates hearing uh <laughs> that grief can be a, a mental health diagnosis yeah. and we're talking like dsm and all this stuff Correct. um but to your point tim um and i think we chatted about this a couple of weeks ago and amy please 
stop in. Grief can quickly become a mental health issue if not addressed uh, correctly, appropriately, as it should be, right? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the biggest things that we see and are continuing to see is people that try to avoid grief. They try to push it down, suppress it. It's not an issue. They'll be okay. I'm okay. I'm good. They'll get over it. The big phrase is, I can get over this. Um, but the more that they try and suppress it, the more, you know, the, it, it keeps festering and then it, it boils over until it can become <clears throat> an, another what would be considered a mental health condition. Yeah, wind up in some form of depression or otherwise. Anxiety or, you know, it can even cause hallucinations and, and those kind of things. So, uh, yeah. A- Amy, does, does everyone who loses someone that is some degree of dear to them whether it's maybe just a neighbor they don't see anymore or someone they deeply care about do we all experience grief and if not i guess you're you didn't care at all or you're just a psychopath right well i I certainly wouldn't go that far (laughs) Uh, but yes i would say we all experience grief Uh, and that's you know we although the monarch grief center we focus on loss of a person there are other forms of grief uh, you know losing jobs losing your independence etc etc uh, so Thank you for I, pointing that out, by the way. Yes. Well, and can I add on that sure. real quick? Because almost it's it's interesting when you think about grief, it can almost be defined as any change in life. Because anytime there's a change in, in your life, it means you're giving up something, mm-hmm. right, for something new. And a lot of people think of that in terms of bad things, but also positive things can have a grief reaction as well. What's an example of that? Getting married. You know, your life changes mm-hmm. exactly, but you're giving up your singlehood, right? right? Of some of your independence, of making your own free will decisions, having a baby. You know, a lot of people have a grief reaction to that, um, especially when you're sleep deprived and all those kind of things. Is, so is there a way, and if you can go beyond that, or if that's just what it is, can you professionally, psychologically, scientifically explain how that's grief as opposed to maybe other emotions like anxiety? Because mm-hmm. it could be anxiousness, like, oh man, my single Friday nights are gone because I'm, I'm I'm married now. Is it semantics, or is there something psychological, definitive in there between like anxiety of not going out anymore, uh, or grief because you have lost that? Well, I would uh, I can say answer to that one. Um, one of the things that we talk about in our grief one hundred and one sort of conversation, the first question is. Grief is a blank to a blank, and to fill in those blanks, it's, it's a reaction to a loss. So, again, if you lose your independence, whether by your own volition or not, mm-hmm. it's still a loss. And it, you can lose a person and grief, grief, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be grieving uh, with the intensity that you might with somebody else. From a personal experience, for example, um, you know, we talk about normal reactions to, or quote unquote normal, because, you know, what is normal, but typical reactions to grief. We often think of crying and sadness and depression and things like that, but there also can be relief. And, and I can speak from my own personal experience. My dad had been sick for 25 years mm. and wanted, he was ready, he was ready to go. Um, and so when he finally died, there was a sense of relief that I felt. Certainly missed him. Oh, my gosh. Definitely. Um, but then with that can also come guilt. Like, but then, wait, yeah, it's like, well, why am I fe- why is there am something I wrong right? with me that, you know, that I'm not yeah. a sure. mess? Um, and so, that's where I bring up the psychopath part, where you're disconnected from emotions. Right. And that's not good. 
The other thing is you have to think the circumstances, you know, to what your relationship is with the person, the circumstances. Obviously, if you have someone who is near and dear to you who dies because they've lived a full life and they have, you know, a disease process or they have just come to the end of their body is worn out. That's way different than losing someone to a tragic car accident, yeah. you know, or, you know, so all that comes into it. So that's the thing that's kind of challenging is that there's not like a prescriptive, okay, if this is, this is, and this is, then it's this. It's, it's different for everyone. Yeah. I, I, with your example, uh, my mom succumbed to lung cancer and the exact timeline diagnosis, six months gone. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was, I know that my brother found me a bit callous. Um, I was far, I was out here, they're back home in Philadelphia. My brother watched my mom erode, but it wasn't relief, but it was something for me. It was almost like, uh, this was inevitable because I watched my mom my entire life smoke and not take care of herself. Right. And it was almost like one plus one was going to equal two at some point. My grandfather, on the other hand, the men on my side of the family, we're going to be like 128 years old. It, it, <laughs> I'll be a new story one day. My grandfather was 97. His My grandmom had died eight, nine years before. He wanted out. He wanted out. Like I think he hated waking up every day. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Tim. I'm, I, I don't know how much you want to talk about your own experience. I'm, we'll share everything. <laughs> Tell me about feeling callous with your mom. Or, oh. Well, you, not that you felt it, but your brother felt oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think Did he... You, would you describe yourself as being callous with it? I mean, I think everything is semantics and subjective. Um, I was not, but I am very literal, logical, and pragmatic. Like I said, mom smoked, didn't take care of herself. Lung cancer was pretty much inevitable. Interesting. Um, that's how I, I am able to process sadness, loss, change faster than a lot of people. And that's because I had to battle my bipolar. And um, the best weapon against that until the right medication is CBT stuff. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. un- absolutely. Yeah. Reversing the mind death that your mind does to you. Um, untwisting that. But I I, I was, it was, it's interesting. Back in 2015 when this happened, you guys came you can't talk and I'm talking. We'll go along. It's fine. In 2015, when my mom passed away, or had, yeah, I think that weekend when I drove home to do funeral stuff, I had gotten my very first prescription of, of Cymbalta, which has truly been life changing uh, for me. Uh-huh. Um, and it allowed me to really flex the CBT muscles. Um, but I look back and having not been wired then as I am now, which I believe is better. I can look back and even in the shadow of that, I go, yeah, I can see why my brother Paul was super pissed at me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also would have to understand Eric's not at home. He didn't see this, didn't right. see this every day, but he and I process things differently. Amy, to your point, like well, everything's super different. I can throw an example at him and throw it back at me. When people often ask me like about medications and whatnot, I was like, look, we could have the exact same symptoms Mm -hmm. but need different medications because these bodies are complicated so you could have one person that has a vicious violent encounter with grief and someone else who it's just like my grandfather passed away Mm -hmm. and you would maybe predict wrong how they're approaching it the person who dealt with the violent one could be like i understand this this is terrible but i have to move on right the sad the sad person that was just as you said, their body wore out, could be completely devastated, and they, and they might not know why. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and actually letting our clients know that that is also, again, air quotes, normal, uh, typical. That they're, they're, And that's one of the things that I think is, because our country 
in general, our society is very grief illiterate. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misconceptions, um, and I, it, it makes it makes our job that much more important, I think, to try to break through some of that stigma well, and that misinformation. And I have to add, I mean, the number of people that come in talking about <clears throat> the stages of grief, like, you know, I know that there are these five stages of grief, um, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance, and I just don't know where I'm fa- I mean, those stages of grief, God bless her, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, but that's back from 1979. So those are almost 50 years old now. Um, and I, it, it was revolutionary because people weren't talking about death, mm-hmm. and she finally put it out there. Thank God she did, because now we can have more conversations about death. Um, but there aren't five stages. There aren't only five feelings within grief. Grief is everything. I mean, we have a we have a picture that we use a lot that, you know, five stages, but what I actually feel like, and it's just a huge scribble of everything, you know, that goes through like 40 different feelings. Uh, how... How do you help people? I mean, I know that's a very broad question, and we just illustrated how different every person can be. So, Amy, how do you help somebody? Well, you know, back in the day, um, <laughs> whenever that was, people had uh, a closer family structure. People had more time. Mm. You know, they were working in the fields together. Yeah. They were baking bread together. They were doing these things, and they could just chit-chat about things and talk and be supportive of one another. And, you know, we're in such a hurry. Mm-hmm. Everything's got to be fast food, fast this, fast that. And you got to buck up and put your big girl panties on, and, you know, you got to do your thing. Um, we just try to slow that process down for people and say this, we provide a, a safe space where people can just, hey, tell me about your loved one. Tell me, tell me what, what's the, and then ask some of the questions, just like Tim did of you. What, tell me more about this, you know, callous feeling. Did you feel that way? Why do you think your brother felt that way? You know, just, and because well, really our clients have the answers. Mm, it's right. just helping them. That's one, of the, them. that's one of the things, that, sorry, Tim, I'll go real fast. One of the things I always found helpful when I was when I'm doing counseling, mm-hmm. still am, um, was a good counselor would, would make me say the words and me hearing yeah. them was like, oh, I have the answers. And you're like, why can't I do that? Why am I paying $45 for a copay? <laughs> right. Because you need a professional to ask those questions. Yeah. 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 And it's empowering it's, to the client to mm-hmm. be like, I, I do know that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. A huge part of it is just being able to tell the story and put the story out there. And the more that you can externalize it, the better. Because a lot of grief stays in our head and people want it, will talk about it for the first week or two after the death, up, up until the funeral. And then after the funeral, everyone goes home and people kind of expect everyone to get back to their life. But the people most affected by it, that story is playing over and over in their yeah. head. Um, and part of it is just being able to tell someone. Tell someone that's not connected is very helpful, too, because, you know, the number of times, oh, you know, my kids are sick of hearing me talk about it because they just want to move on with their life. But, you know, it was their spouse of 50 years. Right. So, like, get it out of your system. Tell your story um, and and process it with someone who can ask some questions and make you think about it and kind of put the pieces together because the pieces are all jumbled. Let's put it together and and make sense of it. This might go back to an earlier question, but I find it maybe the, the crux of all of this. Everyone has to do like you can't evade grief, Mm-mm. right? Give give me some some of that. Like you, and I know this is beyond just like well, I'm okay. Like 
we know you're not telling the truth. Like you cannot evade it. You have to go through it. You can go through it like that, but you've got to you've got to meet it head on. Yeah. Well, you know, I <laughs> I'm a parent of young adult children, and um, I tell them all the time. I've been telling them for years. For every action, there's a reaction. You know, you yep. make, you make a decision. There's good and bad to it. You turn right. Okay, well, what would have happened if you would turn left? It, it, it's kind of along those lines. You, it's, grief is inevitable. You're, you're going to have people in your life, unless you live in a hole, <laughs> um, and you're going to have relationships with those people, good, bad, and indifferent, and those people are going to be in and out of your life for different reasons at different times. Some of them are going to die. Some of them are going to move. Some of them are going to get mad at you and storm off, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, those are all grief-related situations. Um, even like Tim said, the natural stuff. I mean, hey, it's all happy and great that you're getting married. Well, you're still not going to be single anymore. Yeah, don't do that. I, um, I strongly <laughs> encourage you to not get married. Okay, I encourage it, but <laughs> the odds are the odds do not weigh in your favor. <laughs> um, you know, having kids, it's a great thing, and then you have them, you're like, holy crap, what am I doing? <laughs> um, you know, you're giving up things to get other things. Yeah. That's just how life is. You know, I will say some people do avoid it, and, and that's one way of dealing with it. Um, there are people who actually, they're, you know, some of our clients are struggling with dealing with their family members who are avoiding it and won't talk about it and won't seek anyone and won't even talk to friends about it. And that's just how they're going to cope. Um, that's not healthy, right? Because you will just continue to have that shadow looming over you. Correct. Correct. But I, I hate to call it unhealthy because... Yeah, because everyone is different. Everyone's different, and who am I to say what's best for them? Do you get what I'm saying? Uh, I will, because you're the professional, and I think we've got some pretty sound data, and, and we've just had this anecdotally in our conversation. Like, you've you got to meet it head on. Um, in a way, you might empower it by continually avoiding it. Make it stronger. You can, but that some people will just continue to, to, to deal with it in that manner. And I guess why I'm bringing this up is because I think we get calls frequently from a family member saying, I'm worried about my family member. Um, and, right, you know, they're trying to seek services, which is great. Um, but they may not. And I think those people put so much angst on themselves trying to get that person help and maybe even causing that person more strife by saying, you need help, you need help, you need help. Don't do that. Uh, But you know what, though? I think what Tim is saying makes a lot of sense, but it's, at the beginning you said not everyone grieves. I still think they grieve. They just don't grieve in the same way, and I think you agree with that. Yes, everybody grieves. Some people, though, will take it more in stride than others for a variety of reasons. In stride is different from avoidance, though. Agreed. Or some people, though, will avoid, like Tim is saying, because they don't want to deal or don't know how to deal. Um, and I would say, generally speaking, that is, I will say, I'm not going to speak for you, but uh, I would say that in general, that's not healthy. But as Tim said, we can't prescribe. What I don't you know, want to do is put judgment on right. this person is grieving better than this person because they're seeking help. You have letters after your last name. Y- you can because have have there been people who have avoided the grieving process actively and it has made their life better than the alternative? Probably not. There, there may be. I, Not never, I think I let me, let me yeah. use a, a, a fun analogy. It's like uh it's like the BMV. 
You got to get your license updated. It sucks, but you got to go. And if you don't, there's going to be consequences. Or like going to the dentist. You got to go to the dentist. And you cannot, but there will be maybe you're maybe emboldening the the power of that grief. What about a farmer who doesn't talk, very stoic, doesn't talk about feelings, but likes to grieve through creating things with his hands? That's not avoiding. Because there's still an outlet. But a family member may not see it that way. Yeah, they that, won't talk to me about their feelings. That I get. When they may be getting it out out in the field, they may be getting it out when they're building something with their hands. When they're when they're doing stuff, that's the trap I don't want people to fall into. That ever people grieve differently, and all grief is okay. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling stuck, reach out. You can always offer support, but be careful in how much you push or say your way of grieving is the right way. Don't don't press. Because yes. you could make it worse. And that, that's yes, often the that's, case in, in a lot of issues. Um, yeah. And I think what you just pointed out can be, there's been a lot of helpful nuggets here. Like, hey, like what you just said, like, I get it. Like, hey, this person is doing, they're working more as opposed to uh, meeting the grief head on. Maybe that's their way of doing yes. it. And like yes. with any mental health issue, um, the signs to look for is when does it begin to impact your life? Likely negatively, maybe positively, but yeah. there are different impacts and something's yeah. different about you. That's when you're like, okay, I'm going to call Tim and Amy and go, what can I do? Yeah. I, in our support group last night, so these are mostly 40-year-olds who, who lost a spouse in their 40s, um, with most of them have teenagers or young, young adult children. Um, we were just talking about that. Um, and several of them are a couple years out from the death and they were reflecting back and they said honestly looking back I feel like the first year I was completely numb and I was doing things that I'm not proud of to cope with it but I couldn't handle it yeah I mean and you know that's that's understandable it's okay yeah again if you're not like something's wired the wrong way and I don't mean it to be flippant but there's like a sociopathy to it if you're not feeling like that's the definition of that kind of person like you're I don't dis- know I'm pushing back a little <laughs> okay, bit no, as I, I like to do right Amy? I'm not saying that they're gonna go out like a, on a murderous rampage or anything because another person in the group was actually talking about like I'm not the bottom hasn't fallen out I'm waiting now that person is only a couple months out from the death but I'm waiting for the bottom to fall out. When is the bottom going to fall out? Maybe it I'm won't. not feel. Maybe it won't. Yeah. Is that, I mean, that's possible, right? Because right. so does we're that all... make her a psychopath that she's in? No, 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 no. No, but she is feeling. I mean, like, no feeling at all. Like this is a father. Like you. Yeah. Like if you died and I didn't care, I'd be like ho hum. And I had some other traits in me. Be like, you got to watch out for air. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, you can be honest. If I die, you don't have to feel anything. I would feel something. I would feel something for Dr. Nick, your husband. Well, thank you. No, I know that this is like a real gray area. And this is why mental health is such a challenge for people because it's not like the x ray up on the board, the, the, the MRI. And I think you guys have dropped some incredible nuggets that people um, can pay attention to and, and learn a lot from. Yeah. How do people come track you down? Well, Probably the easiest way is to call, which would be uh, 567-331-8601. We also have a pretty comprehensive website. Comprehensive not so much in quantity, but quality. Uh, There's some good information on there, and that's monarchgriefcenter.org. All, you know, one 
word, no spaces. Um, Located in that little thing across from the Way Library. Yes, we are in the little area right across from the Way Library in Perrysburg on the corner of Louisiana and Indiana. Our address is... 314 Louisiana Avenue. One last thing. Oh, go ahead, Tim. I, I do have one thing to add. Please. That, uh, <clears throat> our services are, per, are private paid right now, uh, so we are not billing any insurance. Uh, but we are a nonprofit, and we strongly believe that finances should not be a barrier for anyone seeking the services that they need. So uh, we do seek donations from the community to help support our sliding fee scale. So we offer a sliding fee scale based on income. So... Uh, and that's very a very generous. Like it is a very. It's not the typical, twice the poverty level. Yeah, two hundred percent. Way, yes. way greater than that. Yes. Last thing. Yeah. Some symbolism with monarch, right? The butterfly. Yeah, that Can, that, that was Amy. <laughs> Amy came up with the idea of monarch. Yeah. Is there something with butterflies that 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 are about grief? I, you know. For some people, I, I I hesitate because this is a sticking point with Tim. He's like, don't use the whole well, thing. Give your give yours, and, and I'll give okay, mine. Okay, fine. Um, but no, I I just think of butterflies. It's just that whole concept of this caterpillars, you know, doing its thing, and then it it kind of gets sluggish and goes into its chrysalis, and you think, oh well, is this all there is? And then over time, there. You know, things happen, things change, and they emerge as a beautiful butterfly. Was Tim's um, idea like the molting of a snake skin? <laughs> we can't call it. We can't call it snake grieving. It just it doesn't sound right. Well, we joked about you know why why monarch, and we said because black swallowtail grief center just doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> uh, my my point to that again, educating on grief, is that I. It's kind of a myth out there that everyone in grief can come out as this beautiful, transformed butterfly. That's not always realistic. That's my only hesitation with it. But a lot of people, it's about transformation. Regardless, grief is transformative in some way or another. Absolutely. And the number of clients already that come in and talk about after their person has passed away, the symbolism of seeing monarchs and butterflies and, and uh, cardinals and a lot. It's mm-hmm. very cool. Those kind of s- stories are not just chance. They are caterpillars. There's a critter, and I know that when we were kids, like we let them crawl out of stuff. But they're they're in the, the critter family. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I could see why somebody might be a little averse to it. But I've never been like I've never con- encountered a person who is like a. Is there a butterfly phobia? I'm sure there is. It probably is. But it's a very welcoming <laughs> yeah, creature. Very welcoming, beautiful yes. creature. Gentle, kind. Yes. Fun, like you guys. Oh, that's us. If you come across a butterfly in your shower, please don't kill it. Okay. But I would. My, uh, that's a whole other story. Tim, Amy, thank you so much. Thanks so much, thank Eric. You. Appreciate it.